There is a saying in Las Vegas, and you have probably heard it a million times, and it goes something like this. What happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas. What happens in Atlantic City stays in Atlantic City. The reason why is because uh, it's referred to as the Sin City, and it, and it got that name for good reason. So a lot of people do things in Las Vegas. They don't want their families, they don't want their friends to know. Either they gambled too much or spent too much time with people they shouldn't have. The reality is... When they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, people mean that. But when the church started in Jerusalem, the last thing Jesus Christ wanted to happen was what happened in Jerusalem stayed in Jerusalem. That's why I've entitled this message on the birthday of the church, as Tony has reminded us in his prayer, is this. What happened in Jerusalem doesn't stay in Jerusalem. The message, the ministry, the energy, the power of the Holy Spirit needed to leave Jerusalem and reach the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's why Pentecost Sunday is such a significant holiday. It's a, it's a day of remembrance. It's a day of celebration for the church. And I think it's great, personally, that this is the regathering Sunday for Kissimmee Christian Church. After being absent in body, uh, the church has still been alive and growing, even though we haven't been here. I was talking to our uh, Tom Martinez, who leads our Spanish congregation, uh, he and uh, another member of our church, Roland Howard, baptized a man who's on hospice care, only days to live, but surrendered his life to Jesus Christ yesterday. And that's what the church is all about. So even though we haven't been meeting corporately, the church has very much been alive and growing here in Kissimmee. But I want us to know today, the reason we celebrate Pentecost Sundays is, is simply because that's why Jesus came. He came to establish the church. And so I put up this slide here just to remind us all how powerful and meaningful this day is. We know we celebrate the birth of Christ. We celebrate it every December. It's one of the biggest days of the year across the planet. It's the celebration of the coming of Christ, and we ought to celebrate that. We also celebrate the teachings of Christ. We take the message of Jesus and we apply it to our lives. His teachings transcend time. Jesus came to establish truth. Truth is that which affirms propositionally the nature of reality as it is, not reality as it is perceived to be. And that's a quote from one of my heroes, Ravi Zacharias, who just passed away. And so we celebrate the teachings of Christ. We also celebrate the death of Christ on the cross. The cross represents the tool that Jesus used to pour out his blood to cover the sins of this crazy, mixed-up world of which you and I are a part of. And so we celebrate the cross. Every year, Good Friday, Christians come together and contemplate what the cross means, how the cross intersected God's love and my sin. And then, of course, we celebrate the resurrection, the empty tomb. We serve a risen Savior. The crux of Christianity rides on the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And for 40 days, he was seen in Jerusalem. He was seen on the shore of Galilee. He had breakfast with his disciples. He was seen by over 500, Paul records in the book of Corinthians. Why? As a visual reminder to the world that he rose from the grave. We serve a Savior who did not stay in the tomb. Death could not conquer Christ. The death could not keep him. All of that now points to today. The reason why we celebrate the birth, his teachings, the cross, and the resurrection is because he did all that to establish the church. It was launched in Jerusalem, 33 A.D., 10 days after his bodily resurrection into heaven, and he's coming back for his bride, the church. That's why today is such a, a key, significant day 
for the body of Christ. Now this has been prophesied, the, the establishment of the church throughout the Old Testament. One prophecy after the other pointing to the kingdom, the coming age of the church. Genesis, the 12th chapter, 2092 B.C., we see the church mentioned here. God says to Abraham in, in chapter 12, verse 1, I'm going to give you six gifts. I'm promising you six particular gifts. Number one, I want you to get out of your country. And if you do, I'll make you a great nation. Number two, I'm going to bless you. Number three, I'm going to make your name great. The term Abraham has resonated with the Hebrew Jewish people ever since. His name is great among the Jewish people. And do you realize that as Hagar, his handmaiden, had a son named Ishmael, of which the, the Muslim community came, and even they honor him. Do you realize that Christians honor Abraham because from Abraham's seed came Christ? I mean, so his name is big. His name is big across the planet. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. But it's the seventh promise that resonates with us today on Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church. And in you, Abraham, all families of the earth are going to be blessed. The payoff for his obedience of leaving his country and his father and going to this land that God was going to promise him meant that his family would be increased. His material and spiritual property would be increased. His name would be exalted among any name in that time, and, and I think even today. But the greatest blessing that came from Abraham's faith is this. Ultimately, through his lineage would come Christ and the church of which we are a part of today. Hebrews, the third chapter, verses 3, three through 6. God recognized we also needed one like another Hebrew uh, hero, and that's one like Moses. In Hebrews, the third chapter, verses 3 through 6, we read these words. For this one, meaning Christ, has been counted worthy of more glory than even Moses. Now, we know that Moses was exalted, just like Abraham, in the minds of the Jewish people. But the writer of Hebrews says there is one coming like Moses, but here's the good news, he's even greater. He's even greater than the one that you love and adore and the one that you admire and, and even worship. One greater than Moses is coming, all right? Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor, okay, than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But here's the key, verse 6. But Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the house firm to the end. The house that the writer of Hebrews is referring to is not Jerusalem. It's not the nation of Israel. Folks, the house that the writer of Hebrews is referring to is the church. And that's why the birthday of the church is such an essential part of the Christian faith. That's why we need to honor it. Now, we don't have to wait the 50 days after the resurrection of Christ to celebrate the birthday of the church or the concept of the church, the ecclesia, the called out. We do it every day because the church is not made up of brick and mortar. It's people. It's you and me. And every time we're in the community, we're spreading the message of the church. Now, God wanted a, someone like Moses, but he also wanted someone not like Moses. Yeah, he wanted someone to resemble Moses, but there were some things about Christ that were going to be greater than Moses. He wanted a lawgiver, a new liberator. He wanted a new and improved shepherd. Mark Moore writes, quote, both of these Hebrews of the faith 
were rescued as infants in Egypt, tested in the wilderness, and suffered for the nation of which they loved. Moses was a superhero in the eyes of the Hebrew people. But the writer of Hebrews here in the third chapter challenges us all that one greater than Moses is coming. Deuteronomy 18.15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, just like me, Moses says, from your midst, from your own brethren, from the Jewish people, and him shall you hear. And that's who we honor and celebrate today, the one who died for the church, who rose for the church, and is coming back for his church. Now let's get this movement off the ground. You say, well, I thought the church was already off the ground. I thought it was started in 33 A.D., I thought the day of Pentecost was the day the church was launched, and it is. But i got to tell you something, my friends. The church of Christ has done a lot of stalling out over the last 2,000-plus years. We are not operating with the same energy and passion and earnestness as the early church did, but we can. But we got to get back to the basics. we got to get to the Acts model and see what they did in the book of Acts and replicate that here in 2020 and beyond. And so that's what I want us to consider. How can Kissimmee Christian Church, how can the Christian churches and churches of Christ around the world become the kind of movement that the early church was? Let's go to Acts, the first chapter, and see what they did. Acts, the first chapter, verse 1, we read these words. The former account I made, O Theophilus. Now, Theophilus was, uh, was uh, the one in whom Luke wrote to. And it's, the book of Acts is the history of the church. That's what Acts is. If you want to know what the church did, how it operated in the first century, all you got to do is look at the book of Acts. Acts is the history of the church. And the church started on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the Feast of Harvest. It's mentioned five times in the Old Testament. Okay, it marked the beginning of the early weeks of harvest. So the Jews would come in. Passover was the biggest feast, all right? Passover's come and gone. Jews around the world would make their way to Jerusalem, proselyted Jews also into Jerusalem, and they would celebrate the weeks of harvest, the great harvest that they were projected to have and would have. And so the streets of Jerusalem are packed with Jewish people celebrating the weeks of harvest. What a great opportunity to reach the masses. And so that's the day that Jesus says to Peter, you're going to preach what is now known as the first gospel sermon. And so the former account Theophilus makes His name actually means lover of God, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach. Until the day in which, verse 2, he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, suffering by many infallible proofs. Remember that. He made himself seen and known by many infallible proofs. That is proof that could not be denied. And so we know the gospel writers recorded that Jesus rose from the grave, but we also know that contemporary journalists and historians spoke of the fact that this man Jesus came to the earth and taught. This man Jesus was indeed crucified on a place called Calvary's Mount, and they also testified the fact that he rose again. We saw him with our own eyes. And that's why Luke says infallible proofs. Proofs that cannot be denied. So your faith is based on science and reason. And don't let any left-wing liberal tell you that you have to suspend your rationale to be a Christian. I got news for you. It takes, it takes more faith to be an unbeliever than to believe in the testimony of not just the apostles, 
but historians and journalists that spoke of Christ years after his resurrection. That's why Luke calls it infallible proofs. Being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the church. That's what we're celebrating right now, the birthday of the church. The coming of the church of which we are part of. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem, guys. Stay here. You're getting ready to be empowered with the gift of the Holy Spirit like you cannot imagine. You've got to stay in Jerusalem. You've got to wait for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father that they would have the Comforter, John tells us, the Holy Spirit. We know that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we see in Acts 2, these men were transformed into bold leaders. For John, verse 5, baptized you with water. But you're going to be baptized, gentlemen, with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Unfortunately, they still don't get it. Jesus, I'm sure he just wanted to grab them by the throats and say, you don't understand, I'm not here to reestablish an earthly kingdom. This is not a place on a, on a geographical spot on the map, folks. The kingdom now is the church which will expand past Jerusalem and incorporate every city in America, including Kissimmee. That's why Kissimmee Christian Church is here, because of Acts 1, 1 through 8. All right, you get, everybody get that? Everybody get that? All right, good. In verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you say, Jim, I think I know what's, what's missing in my church. We're not Holy Spirit driven. We don't have the vision of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the boldness of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the courage that comes with the Holy Spirit. Well, make Pentecost Sunday the Sunday that your church once again operates under the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the, the greatest fear facing the church of Christ today is not the coronavirus. We're going to get past that. We're already getting past that. And I know we're jumping through a thousand hoops to make sure everybody's safe while they're here. You know, we got people wearing masks, we got people wearing gloves, we got people running around in hazmat suits. I don't care what you do to get ready to regather, but what you got to have is that is a church that's growing, it's expanding, is you got to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. Coronavirus or no coronavirus. And so in verse 8, the Spirit's going to come upon you, fellas. And you're going to be my witness. You're going to be my ambassadors. You're going to be my mouthpiece. But you've got to start here in Jerusalem. And then the ministry is going to spread to Judea. And then it's going to go to Samaria. And then it's going to end up in Kissimmee, Florida. And I'll tell you where else the gospel needs to go. It needs to go to Minneapolis, Minnesota. It needs to go to Atlanta, Georgia. It needs to go in the cesspools of the inner cities across America. So pray for that kind of revival. You say, oh, Jim, I'm praying for revival. I'm voting for this candidate. Jim, I'm praying for revival. I think we need more laws. I got news for you, America. We can't legislate enough laws to bring sensibility back to this country. It's only when the United States of America and every nation on this planet recognizes the power of the gospel of Christ that can change the hearts and the minds of not just law enforcement, politicians, but every citizen regardless of your color. Now that's what made the church grow in the first century. You say, you sound angry. I'm not angry. I'm the happiest guy on the planet. I am. I'm, listen, man, I'm fun to be around. I'm passionate, though, and I'm also fed up with the secular answers we're getting, devoid of the gospel message. So church, wake up. It's time to get the movement back off the ground. 
So 12 apostles do as they're commanded. They go to a room that had been selected and they wait for the special anointing of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. In Acts 2, we see the launching of the new kingdom. And I'm not talking about a kingdom built with human hands. I'm not talking about a kingdom that will come and go. In Daniel, the seventh chapter, verse 27, Daniel prophesies, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom is under the whole heaven, and it will be given to the people, not just people in Jerusalem. I'm talking about people in Africa and Asia. I'm talking about people in North America and South America. I'm talking about people who live in big cities and small towns. To the saints of the Most High, His kingdom, the term kingdom that Daniel was referring to, is the church. Why? Because it's an everlasting kingdom. It means it doesn't have an end. Isaiah says, of his kingdom, there shall be no end. That's why 2,000 years have come and gone and the church is still alive. The church is still growing. We're still baptizing people. We're still helping people get on track. We're still pointing people to heaven. We're still expanding the kingdom. Our vision is to continue to expand the vision of the church. Why? Because this kingdom has no end. And all dominions will serve and obey him. Do you realize that over the last 244 years, France has 700 different governments. Italy has over 51 different governments. The great Soviet Union fell in the 80s. But the church of Jesus Christ is still alive and still well. Now, here's the problem. We've lost some energy. We've lost some passion. I think we've lost our, our love for the Scriptures and for biblical truth, and we've looked for some false narratives and some false ideology to help prop the church up. So how do we get the movement off the ground? Two points. Number one, create an appetite to join the family and the new kingdom. I think we have to recreate an appetite for Jesus. I think the church has got to recreate an appetite for biblical truth. I think we need to stop looking at Hollywood and stop looking at the media of mass deception for our talking points in the church of Christ today and get back to Scripture. Tom Rainer's book, The Essential Church, and our staff is going through this book, and I think it's very inspirational. But he has a quote in that book that I thought it was appropriate to speak of today, and I quote him now. Quote, the church is losing influence in culture. The church is losing its influence in contemporary culture. We're not taken seriously anymore. And one reason is because we've lost our passion for the Word. Because our desire is not to expand the kingdom. It's, our desire is to expand our own personal agenda. He says we've lost influence in contemporary culture. Local churches are having trouble relating to their local community. Why? Because the community doesn't even know they're there. And this was a problem long before COVID. While some peg this irrelevance as the major underlying factor of declining churches, he said we believe that it's merely symptomatic of a much greater issue. The church is no longer seen, and this is the key, and I want you to dial into this, folks. Contemporary culture, people in society, lost souls. I know, I know, we call them the unchurched, the de-churched. The Bible calls them lost. People out Jesus are lost. So let's quit fancying up the term and call them what it is. Either you're saved or you're unsaved. All right? greatest issue the church is, is seen as, is no longer as an essential part of people's lives. Unless dramatic change occurs, I mean Acts 1, 1 through 8 kind of change, the American church will continue down the same path as the European church, which is all but dead. 
See, the first century believers viewed their relationship with Christ as an essential ingredient to their overall happiness in this life and in their future regards to eternity. Now, I'm going to say that one more time. When people became Christians in the first century, they put it all on the line. They knew they could die for their faith. The Romans were putting Christians to death by the thousands. That's one reason why they fleed out of Jerusalem and went to Samaria in Acts the 8th chapter, because of persecution. Over time, they lost Stephen. James was, was put to death. And eventually, all the disciples were put to death. But what they did was based on their passion and love to preach Christ crucified. They knew the gospel was the only thing that could bring the world into a, a place where, where we could live in a civil society. And it had to be something greater than political reform, and it was the gospel. All right, here's a, here's a point I want to make. Listen carefully to this. I thought of this myself, so I'm really proud. The first Gentile convert was a Roman centurion. Who did the Jews hate more than Romans? people who worked for the Roman army. But you see, Jesus saw potential in Cornelius. And I guarantee you, Cornelius probably abused the Jews when he arrested them. He probably put his knee on their neck and killed them. He probably ran them into jail under false pretenses and trumped up all kinds of charges. But I want to tell you something, audience. Jesus Christ knew that that man could be saved. And he was a believer. And his household was a believer. And the first recorded Gentile to be baptized into Christ for the remission of his sins was a person who worked in the Roman army. And so if you want to clean up America, you say, Jim, we need to clean up law enforcement. We got bad cops. We do have bad cops. And bad cops ought to be removed. But I got news for you, society. Don't stop with the cops. We've got the most twisted group of lawyers in America you talking about the need for a spiritual enema. Start with some trial lawyers and then work your way to Congress and then work your way to fake and false hucksters called preachers in America. Yeah, we got bad people serving everywhere. But the answer to bad preachers, false prophets, and hucksters in Congress, law offices, and bad cops is not found in looting and burning. It's found when the church stands up and says, hey, there's a better way to rectify our problems, and it's not through more laws and more looting. It's through the powerful message of Christ. That's why the church is essential. Because it's the only force that can bring people together. You know, I'm so proud to be a part of a church that does that. Gareth Reese writes that, and, and the term heart and soul indicate the marvelous unity of the church. All right, Acts, the fourth chapter, 32 through 35. I don't care what you're doing. Get your Bible and circle these words. Circle these words. This is why the church was an essential ingredient in the lives of people. This is why the church grew from 3,000 on the day of Pentecost when they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Fast forward two chapters, it's up to 5,000. Gareth Reese says by Acts 6, he thinks the church is up to 20,000. What's made this church essential and grow? They're under tremendous trials, under tremendous tribulation. Because the gospel was all they cared about preaching and living by. And that ought to be our passion too. All right, listen to this. Acts 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, that is the apostles, the place where they were assembled was shaken. The church has come together. 
Peter and John have come back to the church and said, you won't believe the persecution we're facing. But the church came together. The place in which they were sitting and praying was shaken. They were filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness and clarity. And the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. I'm going to stop there. Because we read over that and go, oh, heart and soul. What does that mean? Gareth Reese says the term heart and soul, again, indicate the marvelous unity of the church. They felt alike. They thought alike. They loved each other. They cared for each other. There was genuine unity from the heart and soul. They were interested in the same things, advancing the kingdom, advancing the kingdom. And even though they may have disagreed politically, and maybe they honored some customs and didn't others, the fact of the matter is the one thing they all agreed on is we serve a risen Savior. He came to establish the church of which we're a part of, and he's coming back for it. That they believed in. They also believed that you could not get salvation apart from Christ. And see, that propelled them. The words here, heart and soul, represent the intellectual side of the Christian life. The word heart signifies an intellectual love for Christ. They knew the Scriptures. They compared the life of Christ to the Messianic prophecies and realized, okay, Jesus is the real deal. The word soul here indicates, in, in, uh, 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 suggests or indicates the loving union of the early church. So they had a heart for Christ, an intellectual understanding of who he was. They weren't following Christ blindly. And that's what impressed the Pharisees of the disciples. Aren't these unlearned Galileans now that are speaking with such clarity and such boldness? They knew what they were talking about. They were intellectually and emotionally connecting with their audience. This supernaturally driven love is exactly the love that will cry out to our world. The church is anything but non-essential. The church is anything but irrelevant. And if it's become irrelevant, it's because we've allowed the message to do that. The message is still powerful. It cuts to the heart and the soul of what's killing society. I'm so proud to be a part of a church that recognizes the greatest way to stop racism and hatred in its tracks is to begin to love everyone as the early church did. We started a Christian school seven years ago. And I remember as I did chapel the other day of our, just our middle school and I looked across the audience and I saw the different colors the different nationalities represented in our chapel service, I realized that these young people are growing up and they will grow up understanding what a biblical worldview looks like. And if they can understand what a biblical worldview looks like, they will, turn, they will not turn into haters. Sexual immorality will not be the agenda which they follow. They will not be racist. Because they learned here at Kissimmee Christian Academy that Jesus loves us all. He created us all in His image. And He's got a plan for our lives. And I'll tell you what, preachers, because I've, I've started following some of our own preachers on Facebook. And they're all bemoaning racism and, and we've got to do this to change and I haven't done enough and I'm ashamed. Are you really ashamed? If you're that ashamed, get off tweeting, get off Facebook and do something about it. We do here. We have a Christian school that reaches every culture within our community. I'm privileged to be a part of a church and serve alongside other ministers 
that preach and love people. We have a Haitian congregation that we partner with here at Kissimmee Christian Church. Brother Roth and Brother Jean-Baptiste. Oh, I know. You want to bring races together, so you want the United Nations to do it, preacher, right? You think by throwing a few tweets out there about your desire for unity is going to bring uh, the church alive. Listen, get off your cell phone, get off your computer, and go and reach these people that love Jesus and love them as Jesus loved them. That's what we're doing here. And I'm privileged to serve alongside these gentlemen. I'm also privileged to serve alongside Brother Audrey who God has sent here to reach the Brazilian audience. And he speaks the Portuguese language. He says, Jim, why are you talking about this day? For two reasons. It's Pentecost Sunday. The gospel starts in Jerusalem and then reaches the uttermost parts of Europe. That's what we're supposed to be about. Number two, you say, how do you curb racism in America? More laws? No, we've tried that. It fails. Maybe we need to turn to secular media. Maybe they can solve the problem. Are you kidding? They're, they're race baiters. They ain't solving jack. The church is going to solve the problem but we can't solve it if we're irrelevant. If the community doesn't even know we're there. So we reach out and we love people of all color and all shapes and all sizes, whether they're, they're children in a school or they're Brazilian or Haitian. Man, I'm also excited about serving alongside Brother Tom Martinez, who heads up our outreach to Spanish ministry. Tom, Marci- Tom Martinez is a retired cop from Miami Beach, Florida. And he'll tell you, man, it wasn't until I had a massive heart attack that God got my attention. Not only did it save me, it saved my family, saved my marriage. And he's preaching the gospel in Spanish every Sunday here. One of the guys I'm most proud of is the guy on the next slide. This is Mark Gray. Mark Gray's an African-American who spent more time in jail in the early years of his life than anywhere else. And then Jesus got a hold of him. And he found a church that loved him in spite of all of his past mistakes and a part of, aside from all of his issues because we learned to love Mark and he began to love us with both heart and soul. And two days a week, Mark Gray and the team from this church are in inner city Kissimmee loving and feeding and caring for people. He's in the jails once a week and he'll go back once this COVID thing is over and he's preaching the gospel to prisoners who were in prison just like him. Why? Because he's learned to not only love Jesus Christ, he's learned to love his fellow man. He doesn't use his past as a crutch. He doesn't use his past to blame others. He's just simply taking advantage of every day to love people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because he loves people with his heart and his soul, God's making a difference, not just in his life, but the lives of countless hundreds of people every week because of Kissimmee Christian Church. So my point is this. This is not a perfect church, but we decided to roll up our sleeves a long time ago and realize if we want to stop being irrelevant, then we ought to be front and center in this community. And we ought to let the world know the problems are not going to be solved politically. They're not going to be solved through the media of mass deception, but they will be solved through the gospel of Christ. And I will tell you this, the church is an essential part of every community. I know there are some governors in our country who are slow to reopen churches, and I get it, man, I get it. But one reason why some of them are slow is because they don't understand the essentiality of fellowship, coming together, partaking of the Lord's Supper weekly as a family. 
But if they will ever understand the power of the Holy Spirit, if Jesus Christ could touch their lives from the government of Illinois to New York to Minnesota, they would understand that, man, not only is the church essential, it is the only ingredient to bringing harmony back into this divided, fractured country. We preach Christ crucified. Why? Because it is the essential ingredient to bringing hope to this crazy, hate-filled, confused, fractured nation. Francis Chan in his book, Letters to the Church, writes, Jesus says, our love for one another is the very thing that will attract the world. The term one another is mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament. So church, get this down. We can't love the lost if we don't love one another first. And I love being a part of this church in so many ways. But I love so much seeing how you diversify your love to the homeless. Making sure our Haitian brothers' needs are met. Our Hispanic brothers' needs are met. Our English-speaking audience needs are met. Our Portuguese-speaking audience needs are met. Young and old alike makes no difference. We've had two baptisms from Celebrate Recovery Ministry. They've been meeting on Zoom, but two people who realized I can't go to heaven without the blood of Christ during the COVID virus, they came to Jesus Christ. Why? Because this church has learned to love the people that have marginalized and disregarded. Not this church. Because we spent less time tweeting about what we should do, preacher, and actually started doing it. Chan goes on right. Jesus went to the ultimate extent for them. Why would I hold anything back? What barriers could hold me back from pursuing a deeper relationship with Christ? Finally, there's a real connection between our unity and love for one another and the believability of our message. Philippians, the first chapter, 27 and 28. Philippians, the first chapter, verses 20 and 27 and 28, Paul writes, Only let your conduct, how you, how you act out in the public. You say, I hate what's going on in our government. I think I'm going to burn something down. Wait a second. Watch your conduct. I'm really ticked off what's going on in America. I'm going to tweet something. Watch your conduct, believer. This guy cut me off. I think I'm going to jam on my horn. Watch your conduct, believer. That's, that's especially for me. All right. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. If it overshadows the gospel, if it hinders someone from seeing Jesus, don't say it and don't do it. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you are standing in one spirit with one mind, all of us striving together, working harmoniously for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Don't let the haters, don't let the cry bullies in the media and all the haters out there set the tone for you. Be passionate, be bold, be loving. We've said it before. Lead with grace, land with truth. To which is to them a proof of your destruction but to you, salvation. If we took God's description of the church as a family seriously, Chan writes in his book, Letters to the Church, what would happen if a group of people sought Jesus fervently, really loved one another sacrificially, and then shared the gospel boldly? 
Mark Batterson, his book, Not Safe, writes, Church is not a spectator sport. It's not. I know we've been doing a lot of that from our homes on Sunday. We tune in like you're doing right now. Those of you watching right now are not in our audience. And so we do the 815 service. We do a 930. We do an 11 o'clock. We do a 5 o'clock. We do an 830 to the homeless. And then you throw in all the different language groups. Over 10 services that will be done on campus. Following all the rules of people distancing. I get it. But there's a point, church, we've got to recognize this. This is not a spectator sport. You cannot go to church because you are the church. Church is not a building with a specific address. Church is not a gathering at a certain time. If you are the church, then church is happening whenever and wherever you are. Your workplace is a mission field. Your job becomes a pulpit now, so preach the sermon. Your colleagues are your congregation now. So when you leave this place, you don't leave the presence of God. You take the presence of God wherever you go. Happy birthday, church of Jesus Christ. Remember, what happened in Jerusalem cannot stay.